Welcome, and thank you for joining Speak Up for Safer Care. Speak Up for Safer Care is a product of Safer Care Texas, Patient Safety Division at the University of North Texas Health Science Center in Fort Worth, Texas, where it is our mission to challenge traditional thinking to eliminate preventable harm. Speak Up for Safer Care illuminates gaps in care, process, or design that lead to preventable harm in all healthcare settings. I'm your host, John Sims, Director of Safer Care Texas, and joining me is our co-host, Leanne Cunningham, Strategic Operations Assistant Director. Good afternoon, John. All right. And our guest today is Karen Kendrick, and this is Episode 11, What is a Patient Safety Organization? Karen holds a master's degree in nursing leadership and administration. She held director positions over medical surgical units, nursing communications, and home health. And she then focused her leadership on clinical improvement and quality performance improvement. Currently, she serves as Vice President of Clinical Initiatives and Quality for the Texas Hospital Association and leads the Texas Hospital Association Patient Safety Organization. Karen, did I miss anything about your impressive background? No, you you covered that very well. I do have four grandchildren. You left that out, but okay. (laughs) Other than that, you got it. I've got you beat, Karen. I have six. (laughs) So let's jump in here. Um, Explain how patient safety has evolved over the last couple of decades. Have outcomes improved? And if so, what uh, what areas? Well, that's a big question. Um, but a pivotal moment for patient safety in healthcare was in 2019. And that is when the Institute of Medicine released their uh, report to Air as Human. And this served as a humbling call to action mm. for healthcare. Uh, as well as for the government agencies that oversee healthcare, and it launched many, many activities. Uh, it uh, launched numerous quality and safety initiatives and programs. It uh, spurred healthcare uh, organizations and leaders to look to industry for solutions and for for ideas. Uh, looking at other high risk uh, industries such as aviation and nuclear energy. Uh, it certainly increased transparency because it was uh, it was all out there. And so we, uh, as an industry, uh, were able to uh, step up and address the issues. Some of the things that, that have uh, improved uh, as a result of, of that wake-up call is that uh, we have recognized as an industry that zero harm must be the goal. Regardless of what type of harm we're talking about, our goal should always be zero. And with that in, that in mind, it spurs us to continuously look at our processes to see how we can improve. Another important change is that it expanded our definition of the care team. Because uh, no longer is it the physician, the captain of the ship, and the nurse running behind with carrying a notepad. It is everyone is involved in patient care and everyone is involved in patient safety, including the patient, the family, the housekeeper. Uh, Everyone has a role to play. And it also caused us to re-envision how we define harm, how we define uh, our efforts to cast blame Mm. and look for solutions, 
uh, and instead look at how are our processes uh, designed to either allow uh, a harm event to occur uh, or make it easier for it to happen, or how can we design those systems and processes to make, make it less likely for any harm event to occur. And so there's been a lot done. It's difficult to measure harm that did not happen. To measure something that doesn't happen uh, is, is a difficult data point. <laughs> However, we do know that uh, from a, a report that uh, was released uh, in 2018, that between 2014 and 2017, that, that three-year period, um, hospital-acquired conditions decreased by 13%. Overall, and if you think 13% isn't isn't a very high number, that would equate to, given the harm events where we made improvements, to 20,700 lives saved and a healthcare dollar savings of 7.7 .7 billion dollars uh, of healthcare dollars saved. And so uh, it, it it doesn't take a big percentage point to make a big difference in an industry like healthcare. Sure. Wow. That's that's impressive. So what are some patient safety opportunities, Karen? Oh my. Um, well, I mentioned how everyone has a role in healthcare, and I think one of the one of the big areas for for patient safety um, going forward is going to be expanding our relationships with patients and families and engaging them in uh, not only in the care episode that is happening, but in our ongoing quality improvement and patient safety work. Uh, to make sure that they're at the table as we as we work through addressing either a harm event that happened and coming up with preventative solutions to mitigate going forward or designing new processes and ensuring that we have considered any potential uh, harm events that could happen. Uh, another thing is to make sure that we are incorporating an equity lens when we're looking at healthcare safety and quality. Um, that, that we're considering the impact of healthcare equity or inequities and what that's having on our patients. We also have a lot of opportunities to look further upstream. Um, long before an event happens, uh, an unintended event happens, uh, there are multiple opportunities perhaps to have prevented that further upstream. And so I think we're getting much, much better at looking at our data and, and going back to see how far back we could put processes in place to uh, ensure that those uh, types of events don't happen. And something that I know that, that our colleagues in, in academia are working hard on and we are very pleased with is to continue to expand the curriculum uh, for our healthcare providers to include um, skill sets related to quality improvement and patient safety to ensure that when, when they come out, they recognize that that's part of their role and they have the skills to do that and to be part of that team. I think that that is critically important to do that. Well, I am not a healthcare professional. I'm, I, I really respect your response due to inclusion of family. So in layman's terms, if you would, please discuss the implications of the Patient Safety and Quality Improvement Act of 2005? Certainly. Um, this was a very important uh, uh, act. And what it did is it established a voluntary, federally protected reporting system 
that would enhance the data available to assess and resolve patient safety and healthcare quality issues. In other words, it created a shared learning environment for the healthcare community to look at patient safety data uh, openly and honestly amongst ourselves and share what we are learning so that the situation maybe that contributed to an event at Hospital A can be shared with Hospital B and they're able to put things in place so they don't experience an event like that. And so it is a very proactive program uh, to promote patient safety. And and you're alluding to the to my next uh, question, and that is, uh, you know, the subject of, of this episode. What, again, in layman's terms, is a patient safety organization? Well, patient safety organizations, or PSOs, as, as we call them, um, were established by the Patient Safety Act, and they're the mechanism by which this enhanced data and shared learning um, among healthcare organizations can occur. And so there are uh, 94 listed PSOs across the country. They are uh, ad- administered by, by the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, another healthcare acronym, AHRQ. And um, the purpose of a PSO, when, when healthcare so, uh, organizations or providers join a PSO, it is for within that PSO to transparently share their patient safety information, warts and all, and then share the learning amongst themselves. So, so that we can uh, continuously improve the quality of care. So. The core purpose of a PSO is to serve as that external expert to their members. We collect and evaluate the patient safety information. We promote shared learning and disseminate information, provide training and consultation on all areas of patient safety for our members. So it's a very valuable organization for healthcare organizations to be a part of. Certainly. And Safer Care Texas is currently working on, and and we will likely be listed as a a medical office uh, patient safety organization this fiscal year. So we're very excited about that. You know, uh, Karen, the way that I think about this is um, anything that's in litigation, an attorney is going to tell you, keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything. It'll be used against you. And when when we look at um, patient safety events and everybody has to keep their mouth shut, we have we don't have the opportunity to learn and and amend a process or a system that led to that event so that future harm can be prevented. Um, and so I that that is so important. Um, and I'm so thankful for the uh, uh, the act in 2005 and for patient safety organizations. There needs to be more. Um, the next thing I want to I want to talk a little bit about nuclear power and uh, the airline industry. But um, before I do, I recently watched this uh, Netflix documentary called The Downfall. Have you seen that? I've not. Um, for people that are that are very involved in patient safety, I highly recommend it. It's about uh, Boeing, uh, the seven thirty seven Max, and in twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen, within five months of each other, they had two new planes that crashed and 
everybody on board perished. And just the the patient safety and the, the blame game is mentioned in there. So uh, it's about an hour and a half, but it's a, it's a great documentary. Got me all excited, and my wife was watching it with me, and she she didn't know why I was excited. She didn't understand all the terms, you know. But um, why has um, why do you think that healthcare has been unable to appreciate some of the safety outcomes of nuclear power or the airline industry? Well, I, I think uh, the nature of health care, we think of ourselves as so different from any other industry. And uh, when you are a member of uh, the crew of an, air, of an airliner and you have the pilot and the co-pilot and the navigator, they are interacting with a very large machine with an airline, with an airplane. Uh, same with nuclear power. You know, the, the nuclear engineer and that, and that team, they're, they're working with a, with a, with a uh, large power generator, a machine. In healthcare, we're working with people, and people are not as um, predictable <laughs> as, as machinery, and every individual is different. And while you can design a hundred widgets and each widget looks alike, um, there's no two people that are alike. And so that's one of the challenges with healthcare is that we are dealing with people. And not only are we all different, but we also uh, have uh, emotions. We also have previous experiences we bring to the table. And it makes, it makes healthcare extremely challenging. That said, uh, healthcare has learned a tremendous amount from um, the airline industry, from nuclear power, and from the military. We've learned a tremendous amount from the military as well. Um, and primarily about uh, team dynamics and and how that plays a role in safety. And uh, when uh, an airliner is, is experiencing a problem and the navigator is trying to speak up and say something, the pilot has to listen. Mm -hmm. That has to happen in healthcare too. And so one of the, the key things that I have seen over the years that I've been in healthcare has been an increased focus on that culture of safety that promotes an environment in which anybody not only can, but is expected to speak up if they think that there might be any potential for a safe safety concern. That includes the patient, the family, the housekeeper, the lab tech doesn't matter who it is, can stop the line and say, I have a safety concern. And that concern needs to be addressed before we can move on. And I think that that's one of the primary things we took away from those, uh, those other industries, because the whole idea is to prevent an, uh, an event from happening, to, to not have a safety event. But then at the other end, what we've learned uh, from these other industries is that, okay, if an event does happen, what do we do? And when you think about when, when there is a, an airplane crash and how they, they um, recreate, basically, they recreate that plane, they recreate the, the conditions, they investigate, they go all the way back to the beginning and work through to see what happened, and they keep digging until they find out what was the root cause for that airplane to go down. They don't just chalk it up to pilot error and stop there. They keep looking. 
And that's what healthcare has had to do too. We've had to, when we do our root cause analyses uh, on events, is to continue to ask why. Why did that happen? Why didn't they know how to uh, operate that piece of equipment? Why didn't that plug fit into that wall socket? Why, you know, whatever it may be, until we get down to the very root cause, then we're able to put into place solutions which are more than just saying, John, you messed up, read this material, take this test, and don't do that again. Mm -hmm. Instead, we want to redesign that piece of equipment or that plug in the wall or whatever and put into place structural designs so that you can't make that mistake again. It's physically impossible to make that mistake again. And those are some things we've learned from industry. We make it hard to do the wrong thing. Exactly. We're all human and humans make mistakes. And if we're only relying on human memory and skills and emotional stability, uh, we're setting ourselves up. Um, So to design processes and equipment and environments of care where doing the right thing is is easy and making a mistake is hard. For instance, I remember years ago, there was a time when you had two plugins on the wall One was for oxygen. One is for medical gas. Those are two very different things. Mm -hmm. However, there was a time when those plug-ins were identical. And you could plug in the oxygen into the medical gas plug and vice versa. And there was a serious event and when the wrong gas was administered to a patient. Well, rather than just take someone uh, and fire them or, you know, for you know, being so foolish as to plug in the wrong plug, let's make sure those plugs are never the same Mm -hmm. so that it's impossible to plug it into the wrong port. Those are the kinds of solutions we need to get to. I couldn't agree more. And uh, with the gas prices as high as they are right now, I'm thinking about gas. And so you can't put diesel gas into your non-diesel operated car because it won't fit, right? Yeah. Because uh, the consequences will be great, um, you know. The 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 I hear you talking about you know this is, we're caring for people and we have people that are caring for people mm-hmm. who, um, as in our first episode, uh, Jessica termed uh, human frailty. Yeah. When people show up um, to work, you know we don't know what their environment was. Did they? Did they have a wreck? Did they have a fight? You know, where are they at? Are they on top of their game? And, you know, the other thing that I think about, Karen, is um, is psychological safety. So you mentioned stopping the line. Well, in a a high-paced, fast-paced, rather, environment like healthcare, things are moving really quick. we got to move these patients over here because we're expecting, you know, 25 more in the next 10 minutes. Um, I'm exaggerating, but you know what I mean. If somebody stops the line, do they have the do they have the safety culture that would support them in that? And and I think that's that's an opportunity, at least from my experience, that I think we should work towards. Oh, absolutely. And there there's or, there are organizations who have done tremendous work in this area um, to um, ensure that psychological safety for staff to speak up. 
um, to uh, to report problems. You know, what one of the one of the challenges has been uh, when an event happens, you find out that there were numerous near misses or times when a similar event almost happened over the previous months or even years that had we known we could have fixed that process before an actual event reached a patient. And so uh, that psychological safety and that, that um, willingness and ability and, and freedom to speak up is critically important so that we can provide that safe environment and um, having a policy in place, such as a, a, as a stop the line policy, which is very clear, very succinct, and allows something for an employee to stand on and saying, you know, I have the right to speak up, but also I have a responsibility to speak up. If I knew that was a problem and I didn't speak up, that may be an issue. So it has to cut both ways. The other, the other piece of that psychological safety is that we need to have each other's back and we need to know when someone perhaps uh, needs to step away. You know, I, I think back over the last two years and our healthcare providers and how overwhelmed um, the healthcare systems have been uh, with the pandemic and short staffing and, and uh, more patients than, than uh, was ever anticipated to be in any one area. And uh, the challenges were tremendous, but there were times when people were working way too many hours uh, way too many days in a row uh, with uh, far too much stress. And so knowing uh, when to step up and say, you know, John, why don't you go take a break and let me cover for you for a few minutes? Sure. Uh, I think you need a breather. Um, or are you feeling free to ask for that? I think that that's also critically important a part of patient safety. Oh, couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. I like that being able to to say it's okay to step away and knowing it's okay to ask to step away. Mm -hmm. That's vital in psychological safety for sure. Um, I do have a question. I am not a healthcare professional uh, for the sake of transparency. I will throw that out there, but I have stepped into the role of a caregiver. So what role, Karen, do you think that caregivers play in patient safety? Oh, critical role. Uh, very valuable role. Um, you know, the, the, um, very often, um, patients, family members, or loved ones, uh, they know that patient better than anyone. And they may notice a change or uh, something of concern before the, before the clinician notices it. And so having that person there, that was one of the challenges during the pandemic. We weren't allowing anybody in the room with the patient. And so, um, and patients sometimes either they aren't able to speak up or they're afraid to speak up. Um, and having a family member or a loved one at the bedside who uh, is who knows that individual and cares about that individual, speaking up on their behalf is very important. Um, also, just to be part of the care team, to help the patient ask questions, voice concerns, to ensure that they and the patient hear uh, what's being told to them and understand the plan of care, to contribute to the plan of care. Uh, it, is, it is a team effort to take care of patients. 
I, I love the idea of having a designated uh, care partner. And that's someone oh, that's that, yeah, that's something that, you know, uh, I've, I've uh, seen done before in other hospitals where I've worked is patients would state who that person is. Um, sometimes it's a spouse, sometimes it's a neighbor. It, it could be anyone that right. they trust who can be there with them. And the care team responds by scheduling uh, patient teaching during a time when that care partner can be there, uh, planning discharge planning and instructions when that care partner can be there so that you have that extra set of, of ears and eyes um, to ensure that uh, all the instructions are understood and everything's clear. Because when you don't feel well, um, when you're afraid, uh, when you're worried uh, about the kids at home, who's feeding the dog or how much is this going to cost? Um, it's very hard to take in the information that sometimes uh, doctors and nurses and other members of the team are throwing at you. And having that designated care partner um, is so important to the quality of care that you receive. Teamwork makes the dream work. That's for sure. Um, so I'm going to ask you my, my final question. It's a biggie. Um, what inspired you to pursue nursing and what inspired you to carry that nursing pursuit into patient safety? Well, I think I think like a lot of people, I got into nursing because I had a family member who had an encounter with the healthcare system. Uh, you know, I, a, a family member who suffered a, a, a severe heart attack um, uh, uh, when they were in their mid 40s. And uh, so we had lots of encounters with the healthcare system, and I always loved the sciences, and I and I saw the the interaction with uh, nursing and the impact that they can have with patients and families, and it intrigued me. So I got into nursing um, that way, but then I wasn't in nursing very long before I made my first medication error. I gave a patient the wrong medication. Um, didn't mean to. Uh, horrified me. Uh, fortunately, didn't harm the patient, but I'll never forget that moment when I realized my error. And then I, as I got into roles of, of uh, management and I was managing nursing units and, and working with uh, members of the care team and, and particularly new nurses and uh, watching them as, as they struggle to, to to keep all the, the balls in the air that they were juggling and realize that, you know, we really can do better. We, we can really um, make processes better and the environment better uh, for the care of our patients. And I just really had a passion. I didn't want um, to see people um, beat themselves up for an error that, that they made because our processes weren't good and I didn't want to see patients harmed. And so I gradually started gravitating towards the quality and patient safety side uh, of the work. And um, one of the things I have found so gratifying uh, about it is, is the ability to uh, make a difference on a larger scale you know, rather than one to one with patients to to make a difference in a way that impacts patients and the healthcare team um, 
on, on a much larger scale. And so I found that work very gratifying. Well, thank you, Karen, for sharing that knowledge and expertise with us today. And thank you to all of our podcast listeners. Speak Up for Safer Care Texas is a product of Safer Care Texas, the Patient Safety Division at the Health Science Center in Fort Worth, Texas. We'd like to thank our technical producer, Rob Upchurch, for being with us today and handling our podcast. We're calling you to action. Speak up for safer care. Suppose you are a healthcare worker, a counselor, subject matter expert, former patient or caregiver, and you have a patient safety story. Safer Care Texas invites you to be our next guest. Please contact us through our website, safercaretexas.org. Also, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Safer Care Texas. We'll talk again next Wednesday. And thanks again for listening. And as always, we encourage you to advocate and speak up for safer care.